Good evening and welcome to Mets 360 here on CAST. I'm your host Brian Jura and I'm joined tonight by David Groveman. And David, uh, you stepped in at the last minute when our regularly scheduled guest had to cancel, so I appreciate that. Thank you very much and welcome back. Not a problem. Just like, you know, with the Mets have, they go to the minors when someone gets injured. You go to the minor league guy when someone uh, bails last minute. There you go. I hadn't thought of it that way, but uh, it's quite apropos. Well, I don't know if you've been watching the Mets game, but uh, they just had something that I don't think I've ever seen before, and that was seven straight batters reached, six of them by a walk and the other by a hit-by-pitch, trying to figure out if that was a, a record, uh, hoping that uh, Elias will chime in on the game and tell us if it was or not. I mean, it's certainly the first time I've seen that. Uh, I just looking up walks, I found somebody in 1909 who gave up eight walks in one inning, but uh, couldn't determine if they were consecutive. So uh, quite quite a feat. But the the big news is Noah Syndergaard has a 6-1 lead, and uh, after uh, some of the poor pitching performances uh, that we've seen here recently, it's nice to have a five-run lead. Yes, it is. All right, well, let's get uh, to our questions and want to talk about uh, Pete Alonso, a guy that certainly you watched coming up through the minor leagues. I think uh, I was maybe a, a, a tiny bit bearish on him coming into the year, just wondering if MLB pitchers would exploit them, but exploit him. But that certainly doesn't seem to have been the case so far. What are your early impressions about Alonso and, and what type of year do you see him having? So firstly, I'm impressed with the ease of his transition. He, he's seen no downsizing in his production after a promotion from, from uh, the PCL, so an easy hitters league, into the major leagues. I expected some sort of slump at least to start his major league career, and we're not seeing that at all. The thing that impresses me most, though, is his pitch recognition. He is taking pitches that you need to hit the other way and hitting them the other way. And even with hitting the opposite field, he's showing power. He's showing that home run power that he's shown throughout his, his minor league career, and he's not doing it by pulling the ball like crazy. So that, that is a really good sign for uh, someone uh, just, just hitting overall. Now, to me, the, the thing that seems curious is opposing pitchers have had so much luck going up and in on Brandon Nimmo and I'm kind of waiting for them to try that with Alonzo because it seems like they've been trying to work him low and away and that just doesn't seem to have been working so far. Right and and as I said he's getting those low and away pitches and he's hitting them the opposite field. If they start pitching him high and inside maybe he does start pulling the ball down the left field line or maybe he has the same struggles that Nimmo's been having. In the end, I don't think that Pete Alonso is going to be able to maintain this level of success. I think he's certainly going to be a very successful hitter. Every single person I talk to, I, I, I always stress he's going to be a good hitter. He's, he looks like a 30 home run guy. I just feel like what we're, we're going to expect over the long haul of his career is something more along the 270 to 280 level of, of batting average which is uh, just, you know, a little bit below what we're seeing right now. Coming into the year, I think that if you had asked me, I would say that I was concerned about major league pitchers being able to get him out, but that no one doubted the raw power. And if the pitchers aren't able to go to a spot consistently and get him out, 
that raw power is going to come into play. And I don't think it's outrageous to think that 40 home runs is on the table. I, I certainly don't think it's outrageous. If you brought that up as, as your crazy prediction, I would say it's not crazy at all. Uh, I think right now you're looking at, I mean, if you're looking at his start to the season, you have to assume he's in the running for rookie of the year, and you have to assume that he's in the running to make the all-star team as a rookie, which is, is very, very impressive. <clears throat> Excuse me. Tonight we're going to talk about a, a mixture of minor league and major league guys, and right now I want to go into the minor leagues and talk about one of my favorite prospects, and that's Ronnie Mauricio. Uh, it was a big move last year when they started Mauricio in, in the Gulf Coast League, and now he's skipping Brooklyn, and he finds himself in full-season ball with Columbia. And I want to know from you, do you think the Mets are being too aggressive with one of their top prospects? So it, it's, it's, a strange, uh, it's a strange Met universe right now because they skip Ronnie Mauricio to Columbia, but they hold Jimenez back in double-A for another season. So it, it's all a little bit strange. They're, they're uh, very aggressive at the bottom of the minor leagues and very, very uh, trepidatious at the top. Uh, Mauricio, as you said, he's a special prospect. He's a really good player. And the Mets, you know, definitely have high expectations for what they're going to get out of him. When I saw him get as much big league team playing time this spring, I, I started to have suspicions that the Mets might be considering him for Columbia. And I think that the Mets figured that the level gap between the New York Penn League and the South, uh, South Atlantic League wasn't enormous. You see just about the same level of pitchers. They're both pitching leagues. And I think what the Mets wanted was they wanted him to get right into playing time. They didn't see any need to have him just work on physical training. They wanted to get him into games sooner. So I think it was just a, a case of full season versus short season. The Mets definitely have a, a hierarchy, a pecking order, where the goal, they have three short season leagues, and the Gulf is the one that they view as the, the lowest, and then the Appy is in the middle, and then Brooklyn is, is at the top of the food chain for the short season leagues. Me, personally, I don't think those are are nearly as big of a jump as the Mets seem to do. So certainly I, I was not surprised about a full season uh, assignment for Mauricio because he had spent all of last year, uh, mostly in the Gulf, some late in the year in the Appy. But I guess the thing that surprised me, and we've talked a little bit about this over at the site, is they also have another top prospect who's trying to stay at shortstop, and that's Chevron, I'm sure that's not how you say his name, but that's how I say it. Chevron Newton. And uh, he started out in the Appy last year, and I figured that they were going to send Newton to Columbia and they were going to have Mauricio in the New York pen uh, just so that they wouldn't have that question of which one of them plays shortstop. So Newton is on the Columbia roster, but he has a minor shoulder injury, so he hasn't played in a game yet. How do you see uh, the playing time, specifically the shortstop playing time, working out between the two of them? Well, once, once Newton comes back, that does become a, a very, very interesting dilemma for the Mets to have. And, I mean, one of the things about Newton is, is he is a very physically gifted player. It may be, both, both he and Mauricio are sort of, they're a little big for shortstops. I think I think they're both um, 
over six feet tall. And it could be that the Mets are not sure either one of them is a long-term shortstop. I don't think that they really want to move Mauricio off the position, and it seems early to move Newton off the position. But it could be that in, in a team where you don't really have any superstars in the outfield, as you said in our previous discussions, the Mets may have an outfield prospect who isn't playing outfield right now. Maybe they're moving Newton into center field where he can really utilize his, his outstanding speed to become, you know, an excellent outfielder. It's always a dilemma how you handle the, the guys who the, the Mets have had such a focus on, especially in the international uh, prospects, uh, getting guys who are shortstops. And when do you move them off the position? And the famous case is when they drafted David Wright, he was a shortstop, but they moved him to third base right away. And by the, certainly by the time he made the majors, there was no way he could have played shortstop in the major leagues on a, a regular basis. And then we saw it last year with Mark Vientos, uh, who played his draft season as a shortstop, and they immediately moved him to third base. Um, but if these guys are athletic, I'd, I'd like to give them a shot at shortstop. And I, I really don't like the idea that we're going to be moving one of Newton or Mauricio, even though, like you said, chances are that uh, at least one of them won't be able to play short in the majors. So I, I'd like to see them remain it short as, as long as possible. I, I agree with you. Um, you know, it's, it's not that easy to, to do a, a meaningful show where we're just agreeing with each other the whole time. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I don't think they're ready to put Newton up in, in St. Lucie. We talked about that on the site a little bit. I think that would be pretty aggressive to move him up to St. Lucie. Uh, but I, I just can't see any other solution. It's, it's move Newton off of the position because he's not that top prospect or, you know, promote someone, which no one seems ready for that jump yet. Well, let's talk about another infielder, and, and this was a, a favorite of mine from a few years ago, and that's Dilson Herrera. And some people may be surprised to find that he's back with the Mets organization, but not only is he back, he's off to a very strong start with uh, Syracuse. Uh, unfortunately, as an infielder right now, there's really not a spot for him on the Mets. The Mets are wondering what they're going to do with the guys they have in the Major League roster when the disabled guys come back. So Herrera is kind of in a tough spot right at this moment, but uh, just because things look blocked for him with the Mets doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be an, another team out there who, who might uh, want to take a chance on him. So do you think that Herrera still has a shot at a meaningful MLB career? So, so I'm giving away some of my, my blog writing secrets, but uh, as, as a week progresses, you know, Monday as the minor league games complete, I, I just update these little briefs, and those briefs will expand into an article or just stay at the bottom of the article as a brief. And after, after the Monday night uh, game, I wrote down, Dilson Herrera is the best player on the Syracuse Mets, but does it matter? He is probably the closest thing to a prospect offensively that the team has. Some people will say Tim Tebow is a prospect, and I will disagree with them. But Dilson Herrera has a ceiling, and it's at the major league level. It's simply that the Mets have not only a starting second baseman, but they have a backup to him, and a backup to him, and a backup to him, 
before they get down to Herrera. So there's really no room for him to do anything with the Mets. Again, as I was saying with, with Newton just a moment ago, I wonder if he might be well served getting a look in the outfield. You know, his, his bat could be useful on a major league team, and if he was a fourth or fifth outfielder, I think that might be a good role for him, especially if he's a utility player where he can play second base for you and he can play the outfield. It's a lot to ask a player to suddenly pick up another position, but it does seem that if he is with the Mets and wants to do something in 2019, he's going to have to find another place to play because there's just too many people who play second base. In his first go-around with the Mets, it seemed like he was pretty much limited to second base, but if I recall correctly, I've seen uh, box scores this year where he's played third base, and I guess I I thought that they were concerned about his arm not being able to, to make the throws from third base, but if he can make the throws from third base, you would think that outfield would at least be a possibility. Yeah, and I mean, he he's always been a fast player, so again, you have that, that you know, idea that he would have a good range in the outfield. So it's something that I would at least expect the Mets to, to broach with him because right now, you know, second base and third base are probably the positions the Mets have the most depth in. What they really would need is someone who can play shortstop, which I don't think he, he can do to any significant level. Or, you know, you, you have a player like Juan Lagares who's not that impressive offensively Herrera could be a better offensive player than Ligaris if you give him the chance. Let's jump back up to the major leagues and talk about a guy who's on the major league roster, at least for right now, and that's Jason Vargas. Uh, they skipped his turn because of the multiple off days and put him in relief last night, and it didn't go particularly well. And I think that that has caused a little mini uproar among the fans who are starting to to look longingly towards Dallas Keuchel. Uh, Do you think that a a Keuchel move uh, could be in the cards for the Mets? I mean, yes, it could, but I don't don't see it happening. So the Mets relievers are what has, for me, been the, the biggest weakness for the Mets so far. Sure, Vargas was not good last night. No one pitching was really good last night. It was it was bad. Uh, but in his first start, when he started, he was pretty decent. He had a solid start. He got through the innings that we expected him to, and he kept him in the game. That's all that we can expect from, from a number five pitcher. But he's never going to be a star. He's never going to be what the Mets paid him to be. Dallas Keuchel will be better if the Mets sign him. But the Wilpons still own the Mets. I can't see them spending for a Dallas Keuchel when the starting rotation is healthy. The the players you're expecting are healthy, and most of them have been pitching well, uh, with the exception of last night we had we had a bump in the road. We had a bump in the road with Wheeler. It's it's really something where you just need Lugo and, and Gazelman and Avalon and Familia to start pitching to the level that we're expecting. It, it might be even more sensible at this point for the Mets to look at Kimbrell, who I think is even farther out of the, the echelon of, of what the, uh, the Wilpons would potentially pay for. But I, I just don't think that a inning of relief is going to uh, further the cause of uh, signing Keuchel. 
uh, point is definitely taken. One thing that I wonder about is that the Mets had five starters that they felt at least somewhat comfortable about. <clears throat> Excuse me, and, and I think that that was a defensible decision. But there wasn't a whole lot of minor league depth available. Uh, certainly they hoped that uh, Corey Oswalt or Chris Flexen or uh, Walker Lockett might be able to come up and, and give some quality innings, but there was nobody that you felt really good about as a potential alternative there. And they had so much infield depth. I'm wondering that if a Dallas Keuchel signing would have made more sense than a Jed Lowry signing. And You're 100% correct. It really would have. Would, you know. would Keuchel have signed the contract that, that Lowry did? No. I, I, I think... Would he sign he, it now? Yes. I think he would have. If, if the Mets waited and had that money we would have Keifel right now on the contract we gave, gave Jed Lowry. And, you know, as much as Lowry's still a good player and I'm excited to see what he does as a Met, he's not a player the Mets need. All right, well, as long as we're talking about Lowry, let's expand the conversation and include Todd Frazier in that because both of those players are going to be coming back from the DL shortly, Frazier probably uh, sooner than Lowry. And the Mets are going to have some roster decisions to make. So tell me, what two players do you see them sending to the minors or cutting ties with when uh, Frazier and Lowry return? So this is probably the biggest story, other than the fact that the Mets are really uh, doing fantastic with their bats at the moment. This is the biggest story for the Major League team. What happens when these veterans who are being paid a lot of money come back to the team? Now, uh, Frazier is pretty close, and I believe he's, he's gotten some rehab time down in Port St. Lucie. I think he even played a couple innings at shortstop, which is strange. But uh, he's, he's going to be back soon. And when he comes back, what makes sense to me is demoting Dominic Smith, not because Dominic Smith has played bad. But I would demote Dominic Smith so he can play every day, because right now he's, he's not going to get the starts over Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso has locked that position down. It's, it's his. So either Dominic Smith finds another position or the Mets find another team that need him uh, and, and use him as a trade chip. But right now, we're not serving Dominic Smith by having him as a bench player. And Todd Frazier has a little bit more defensive uh, viability than Smith. The bigger issue is when Lowry returns. Because when Lowry returns, it shifts everyone across the field every which way. You end up having uh, Jeff McNeil move into the outfield full-time. Uh, you end up having Todd Frazier not have any discernible role other than potentially on the bench. So my best answer to you, because the Mets have all of this depth, is that when Lowry comes back, Todd Frazier goes don't have any place to play this veteran player, and he doesn't give you enough off the bench. He is a 200 hitter. You're not going to get a 200 hitter into an at-bat that he's going to be you know, capable of really giving you that clutch hit that you need from, from a bench player. He needs to be a higher average hitter. So I just see once both of them are back, Frazier is the one who has uh, no role on the team. So essentially, Dominic Smith is the only player who's currently on the team who I see going down to the minors. 
that's a, a very interesting take and one I'm sure that would uh, a lot of the, the readers over at Mets 360 would be very happy to see. Uh, not a whole lot of Todd Frazier fans over there. Um, one thing you mentioned was that Frazier got some time at shortstop in the minor leagues and we heard that he played, I think it was four innings. We didn't necessarily hear how well he played them, but I think that that may be tipping their hands a little bit. I was thinking initially that Guillaume was going to be safe until Jed Lowry returned because they seemed to be okay with the idea of Lowry being the backup shortstop and playing a game or two there a month. But perhaps um, with Frazier and then eventually Lowry, they'll roll the dice and, and uh, use Frazier as the backup shortstop for a couple of weeks until Lowry returns. They, they're not seeming to do the multiple days off in a row for Rosario. I think he's been in the starting lineup either every day or all but one game so far. So they seem very committed to, to playing him 150-plus games this year. So maybe they, they rolled the dice and, and send Guillaume down first. That's very possible. Um, I just think that Guillaume gives you a lot defensively that you need in the case that, you know, for whatever reason, in the middle of the game, Rosario needs to, to go out. It, it, it's really risky only having one real shortstop on the team. Yeah, I agree. I would pre- definitely prefer to have a backup shortstop, but when you're trying to predict what the club will do, you can't necessarily say what you yourself would do. True enough. All right, well, you mentioned it earlier, so let's uh, talk about it in a little more detail now, and that's the Mets bullpen. So on, on a scale of 1 to 10, with uh, 10 being panic in the streets, how worried are you about the Mets bullpen? So uh, I, I have a lot of uh, talks with a, a particular friend of mine who's a Mets fan, and one of the things that we typically will say in a, in a conversation is, uh, are you in Panic City right now? Um, I'm not in Panic City right now because I think the Mets as a whole are still in a good place. It's the beginning of the season, and we don't have a lot of innings. So, so when runs start stacking up, they look really ugly right now. So even with that, I have to be around a 7 with, with how panicked I am, and it's not necessarily a total panic because I do think Edwin Diaz is fine. I do think Familia will be fine. My real concern is that I was expecting uh, Gazelman and Lugo to be this bridge to Familia and Diaz that would give the Mets this, this ability to have your Steven Matz or your Jason Vargas only go five innings, and it would be fine. But right now the Mets don't have that, and that is very worrying. And the question, the question is, what do the Mets do to solve this? Because right now in the minors, there isn't that much in terms of relief. We saw today that they uh, promoted uh, Corey Oswalt to the majors uh, in place of uh, Peterson. And Oswalt is a good pitcher. Uh, He's probably, I I thought the Mets were going to keep him down in the minors until they needed a starter. So he's a longer inning guy. But I don't think he's necessarily much more than, than, he's not there to do more than eat innings. The Mets need those bridge players to get you from inning six to inning eight. And if they don't have them in in Gazelman and Lugo, 
I don't know where you get them. You have to, to trade for them or you have to go out and spend obscene money for, for Craig Kimbrell. Yeah, I I just don't see Kimbrell being on the on the radar at all at this point, but perhaps that's just me. Uh, one of the big stories with uh, Oswalt was that he had a velocity increase in spring training, so it'll be very curious, at least for me, to see if that velocity will show up here when the games count, because it looked like he had decent stuff and decent control, but he was missing, you know, two miles, three miles an hour from his fastball. We were told that he touched 95, and instead it seemed like he touched 93. And I think he needed to have that extra gear in order to get by in, in the majors these days. So if, if Oswald can, can turn around and hit 95, uh, maybe he can add something to the team. I, I certainly hope so. I think... I really like Oswald. I happen to like a couple of the, the, the guys. When we talk about Dallas Keuchel um, earlier, uh, I like the guys that the Mets have as that, that number six option. So Oswald is one of those guys that the Mets could bring up as a starting pitcher. And I think that you know he, he's kind of gone under the radar as a prospect as he's come up through the minors because the Mets had such big names pitching. He never really you know, stood out compared to everyone. I think that he can give you those quality innings that you need at the back end of a rotation. And if you get him in a shorter, shorter outing, maybe he can give you really quality innings and bridge that gap the way that, you know, in previous years, Lugo and, and Gazelman have. Let's jump back to the minor leagues and talk about a guy that the Mets have had some hope for but has run into consistent injury problems, and that's Desmond Lindsay. Uh, he had a four-hit game on Tuesday night. Uh, so far, at least, he's been healthy here in 2019 after a, a strong showing in the Arizona Fall League uh, late uh, last October. So where do you stand on his prospect chances here uh, early in 2019? Well, um, we, should, we should recall that before that game, where he had a four-hit game, he was in a very Desmond Lindsay-like slump to start his season. He, he hadn't looked good at all. He was striking out fairly consistently, and it just looked like another lost start to a season for Desmond Lindsay, and, and I was expecting to see, you know, a couple weeks from now that he's been playing with an injury. But that isn't the case. He had the four-hit game on Tuesday night, and uh, just now the Mets finished up a game in St. Lucie, or uh, I don't know who was the home team, uh, but the Mets finished up their game uh, in the Florida State League, and Lindsey had one hit in his one at bat because he walked four times. That's four walks for one player in a single game. And he's, he's always been a, a high-percentage walk player. So, you know, that's, that's a couple good signs from Lindsey early in the season when, you know, we haven't seen him do much early in a season. I still can't put his chances of success higher than around 40% because I just haven't seen consistency from him really at any point in his minor league career. And at this point, after all of the, the down years I've seen from him, I have to put his major league success really pretty low, around like 5%. Well, that's not very optimistic. It isn't uh, very optimistic, <laughs> but he, he, he just hasn't done, 
He hasn't done it. The stats don't back up the draft status that he has. Even when he was drafted, he came with some injury concerns. There was the talk that he was a first-round talent, but because of some injuries, I believe those were leg injuries at the time, uh, they held him back, and the Mets were able to pick him on the second round in a year that they did not have a first-round pick. Um, and injuries have dogged him every year. Uh, he, we have uh, every everybody, I guess, has uh, prospects or guys in their major league roster like that. I mean, Juan Lagares gets hurt every year in the majors, and Desmond Lindsay gets hurt every year in the minors. But for his sake, I just hope he gets a, a chance to put up 450, 500 at bats in a minor league season and and see what he could do because I think that very short stint that he had in the Arizona Fall League show why he's so intriguing because in he he can hit for average he can take a walk he can uh display a little bit of power he can run i mean he's got a lot of potential positives about him if he can just stay on the field very true all right well we have reached the crazy prediction time uh, I'll give you my crazy prediction, ask you to comment on it, and then I'll ask you to give me a crazy prediction of your own. Are you ready? I'm ready. My crazy prediction is that when the infielders that we talked about earlier return, it will be Brandon Nimmo and not Jeff McNeil who loses playing time. So tell me, how crazy is that? I, I, I can't see Jeff McNeil losing a ton of playing time just because he's a, a great batter. Um, and right now, you're correct, Brandon Nimmo is uh, probably the, the guy who's slumping. So if you were going to get someone out of the lineup, it would make sense for it to be Nimmo. I do think it's crazy because of the, the outfielders that the Mets would have at that point, the one that you'd want in center field out of your, your three potential best hitters is Nimmo. You wouldn't really want Conforto out there. I'm, I'm pretty sure no one wants to see uh, Jeff McNeil out there. I think he's, he's already doing a lot for us by doing some left field time. So uh, I, I just I can't see the Mets taking away playing time from Brandon Nimmo to give it to Juan Lagares and Kayon Broxton. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that that is uh, pretty crazy, but not insane. Oh, well, I'll take what I can get. Pretty crazy. That's, that's more than I usually get. All right, show me what a truly crazy prediction is like. What's yours? Well, I mean, if I wanted a truly crazy prediction, I would just say that the Wilpons go out and spend money for either Kimbrel or Keiko because that would be crazy. But I think that's, that's also a lazy prediction. Um, so my prediction uh, is that Corey Oswalt, who was promoted today, is going to um, not only impress uh, in, his, in his time, but he's going to earn a job as the second setup man for the Mets to finish out this season behind Familia. I, I could see him sticking on the roster the rest of the year, but... I think that elevating him to the to the second guy after Familia is, is crazy. So I, I think I'm I'm gonna stamp that one crazy. I think that he would be very valuable, very useful as a uh, maybe a, a relief for Gesellman 
uh, somebody to give you two or three innings at a time, maybe when Gesellman has already pitched the day before. But it's hard for me, I guess, to see him in a relief role giving much more than that. So, well, one crazy. Of the, one of the things we talk about is the best relief pitchers come out of the starting pitcher stock. And we have not only a pitcher who has uh, been a starter for his entire minor league career, pretty much, but we have one who's upped his velocity. So he's upped his velocity. He's going up as a reliever. He has less innings to pitch. And, you know, maybe maybe magic happens, and it's all based on results. So if he's getting it done and Lugo and Gazelman are not, come on. Yeah, the- when you're making a crazy prediction, you you want there to be a viable path for your prediction to come true, and I think that you've got a viable path. Uh, I guess maybe I'm just, even though I like, though I like uh, Oswald, uh, I think that maybe he might do better as a starter than a reliever. But um, I'm 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 rooting for him to pitch well enough to make your prediction come true. All right. All right, let's get back down to the uh, the minor leagues and, and talk about a guy that I was bullish on this time last year, and that's Walter Rasquin, who just a, a couple of weeks later, because I think it was the very end of April, he got uh, busted for taking a banned substance. I think it was uh, I think it was meth. So we're not talking a performance-enhancing drug necessarily. Uh, I think they term it a recreational drug. So he came back at the end of last year after he sh- he served the shorter suspension time, but after starting the year in Columbia, they sent him to Brooklyn, and they they didn't bring him back to the level. It almost seemed like he was in the in the doghouse a little bit. So now he's back in Columbia. Not only is he back in Columbia, he's hitting again. Uh, coming into tonight, he had uh, a 500 average, uh, seven for 14 with a double and two triples. So that's that's pretty nice production. So do you think he can get back in the the team's good graces? Well, it it, it all depends on what you mean by good graces, because I think sure the Mets will continue to promote him through the minors, but I think that they're going to do that because he's 23 years old and he's playing in low A full season baseball. He is older than you should be at that level. He should be succeeding, not necessarily to the extent that he has been so far, but I think if you stretch this out to a full season, he's not going to hit 500 for a full season. So I think he will earn his way up into advanced day and beyond, but I I don't think the Mets are looking at him, and I don't think they will look at him as a legitimate prospect ever again. I think... I think even last year, as, as bullish as, as you were, I didn't see the Mets looking at him as a viable prospect option. I felt like he was just organizational filler who was playing pretty well. And I think that is, again, all that it is. It's, it's nice to see him doing it, and I think that he will continue to move up through the, the minor league levels, but his... If he had a chance at the majors, it's it's gone. You were talking earlier about Dilson Herrera potentially becoming that guy who could play multiple positions, both in the infield and the outfield, and I think that that's the path that Raskin has got to has got to travel. Uh, he's I believe he's five foot nine, 
so you think that that's like a, a second baseman's uh, profile, but he's also listed as an outfielder on the on the Columbia roster. Has seen some time there last year and this year, I believe. So to me, the curious thing will be if he's he's hitting well, if they'll give him a midseason promotion to try to make up for that age factor that you were talking about. And we've certainly seen guys um, 24 in Columbia. I'm thinking the last couple of years we had uh, Trey Cobb and Matt Blackham in the in the bullpen, um, and they gave uh, promotion last year to Cobb. So hopefully that they will do something similar and, and try to get him closer to being on track with um, where his age would dictate and, of course, if the performance dictates it. Well, and I think that, you know, the reason that he's in Columbia more than the Mets thinking he's not ready for St. Lucie is you have uh, Carpio, Luis Carpio, who, who before some injuries looked like he could be something, and he's back from those injuries. So they want to give him some chance in advanced A to earn that second base position. So they didn't want to put Raskin in St. Lucie where he would just sort of be, be watching from the bench. They wanted to give him a chance to, to play, and to do that, they had to put him in Columbia. You have a, a much better grip on the depth charts of the, the various minor league teams than I do. Um, so is Carpio just a second baseman at this point, or is shortstop a possibility for him? And also, what's the outfield situation in St. Lucie? So um, what's, what's interesting is... Um, you know, we've been talking about uh, Newton and uh, Mauricio a little bit. The shortstop that they moved up to St. Lucie, Hansel Moreno, they moved him off of shortstop already. He, he is seeing time in the outfield. So uh, Moreno uh, was playing left field tonight with uh, Lindsay in center and Brody in right. Now, the, the player that I think is, is interesting that we haven't talked about, because we talked about Lindsay, who is an interesting player. He was a high draft pick, and, and obviously there's some interest there. But Quinn Brody is sort of quietly becoming a prospect in his own right. I'm not sure to what level he will ever be a, a big league prospect. Uh, I don't know, you know what future he has there. I think the rest of what he does in St. Lucie this year, and if he... Uh, gets a mid-season promotion or a promotion next year to double-A. I think they, these are those formative years for that, that sort of opinion. But the, uh, the guy the Mets have playing shortstop is actually Bohannock in, in St. Lucie, which is, is interesting because he's, he's not exactly a, a big name. So Carpio is, is, is playing second base. Uh, Blake Tiberi is playing a real good third base and, and, and leading off, which is real strange for a third baseman. And, uh, you know, Moreno, no longer a shortstop. Yeah, it's very interesting how the full circle comes about because when Rasquin got uh, hit with the uh, drug suspension last year, Moreno was the one that they called up to Columbia. I think he was slated for a uh, short season league assignment and then they pushed him because, you know, necessity and all. And he, he struggled badly at the beginning of the year, but then started to put it together at the end of the year. But even last year, he was playing the outfield some, so it's not a huge surprise to me to hear that he's back in the outfield again this year. And Blake Tiberi, Cody Bohannik, I wouldn't let uh, I wouldn't let those guys stand in the way of uh, Raskin if he hits. 
I mean, I, that that is fair, but I don't I don't necessarily think that Raskin is that far above Tiberi or Bohannik. But Bohannik's playing shortstop, so if Raskin suddenly wants to play shortstop, I would give him a chance to move up and play shortstop in St. Lucie. <laughs> fair enough. All right, well let's uh, let's uh, finish it up with a guy that we we mentioned briefly earlier, and that's Chris Flexen. Uh, he won his first start of the minor league season there in Syracuse. Uh, very nice start, six innings pitch. He had uh, eight Ks and only one walk. Um, he's been unimpressive in his uh, two years that he's gotten uh, brief stints in the majors. But do you still hold out any hope for him being a productive Met? Oh, I want to. I want to start by sort of talking about the way the Mets built this AAA team because the AAA team uh, is sort of like a who's who of uh, quadruple A players. You have a lot of guys who have major league experience, uh, who who are ready to come up and and get their couple of at bats in a season. You know, on the offensive side, you have Espinosa, Herrera, Gomez, Hecavaria. Uh, Davis, Blanco, and, and on the pitching side, we haven't seen Lockett pitch yet, but we know he's going to. You have Oswald, who's now in the majors. You have, um, you have Zach Lee, who is a former first-round pick. Uh, he was terrible uh, the other day, but he, he was a first-round uh, pick and uh, second top, top two prospect for the Dodgers a couple years back. So you have a number of guys at the AAA level who, who are just waiting for their chance to do something for the Mets. And I think of them, Flexen is still very interesting to me because he does have those stats that you look for in a successful pitcher. In the minors, he keeps his whip low, he keeps his strikeouts high, and that's pretty much all you can ask for out of any pitcher. He just hasn't seemed to be able to do that in the majors. Now, he's never really gotten to come up to the majors in any way, shape, or form that's been, you know, a an easy transition. It's never been a planned transition. It's always been an emergency situation where he has to run up to the majors. So, you know, let's leave him down in the minors for, you know, give him... 10 straight starts in AAA before we even consider doing anything with him in the in the majors because you have Oswald who's ready to come up. You may have Lockett ready to come up in the near future too. Flexen to me has a higher ceiling than either of those two players and I would like to see him get a, a real fair shake in the majors. To me, one of the things that's at least a little bit curious about Flexen is you hear about a, a, a tall pitcher and the thing that jumps into your mind is an image of somebody who looks like a Zach Wheeler or looks like a Jake DeGrom or looks like a Noah Syndergaard, that long, lean, muscular, athletic frame. And then you look at Chris Flexen and he doesn't have that. He's got, um, let's try to think of a kind way to say this, He's got a, a Charles Barkley rear end. And I'm wondering if he can somehow work on his body and if that would help him become a better major league pitcher. Do you think there's any validity to that, or do you think that he is what he is and 
and uh, certainly where there's there's been big boned pitchers, Rick Russell jumps immediately to to my mind. Bartolo Colon would be another one. Do you do you think that uh, the body type is is not anything to worry about? I think the body type is something that that would be a concern, especially if he was a a quote unquote top prospect. Flexen isn't a top prospect. Flexen is a guy that still has what what scouts think might might translate to major league level um you know he's a he's a fringe type guy so you know yes it's concerning and potentially uh working on his his physicality could help him as a player as we've seen with with dominic smith and the changes that he meant made to to his life to his his athletic routine and to his sleep routine how much that's helped him you know, could it be something like that that helps Flexen make a, a transition to the majors? Sure. But I'm going to guess that the Mets training staff has looked into that, and, and this is his body type. You know, uh, I'd like to be skinny, too. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that I'm ever going to, to, to in my life, that, that is, of course, my, my dream, that someday I'll be referred to as that skinny guy over there. But, um, you know, some people are just not that body type. And Flexen is one of those people. All right. Well, I always enjoy ending it on Chuckle. So um, unless you have anything that you'd like to uh, to add, any any uh, parting parting thoughts? Well, parting I, I, I would I would like to to just point out, in case no one was paying attention, that there is an official Thomas Zapucky sign a sighting. He pitched one complete inning in the minors in 2019 nice and that is a good sign he did give up a hit and a walk but it is his first inning in a pretty long time so um you know let's hope that the mets continue to stretch him out we start to see him start some games again and we can get his career back in motion because again as we were talking with raskin he's 22 and he's been stalled because of injury so where we was was that in columbia or st lucie columbia uh, he, he, he pitched an inning in relief, um, and uh, I, would, I would guess that the Mets are going to give him some, some time off. And it seems that the Mets uh, are, are also uh, waiting. Uh, they, they have Jordan Humphrey still listed on the seven-day injured list. So uh, I have my eyes out for all these, these, these injured uh, prospects and when they're going to be rejoining the teams. But uh, I, I'm, you know, Sapucky is... Still, uh, I guess right now, the Mets' top pitching prospect uh, because, you know, Kilome is, is injured for this season. I think I have a little bit uh, more hope for David Peterson than you do, but certainly uh, a healthy uh, T.S., since I'll massacre his last name, a healthy T.S. would be a wonderful thing to see. Uh, always a wonderful thing to see is David's minor league column, which runs on Mondays over at Mets360.com. David, thanks for filling in at the last minute tonight. I really appreciate it. Not a problem, Brian. Always happy to do it. And thanks to you for tuning in and listening, and hope uh, you'll uh, join us again next week. Good night, everyone. Good night. And goodbye.